back we got about 15 minutes to cover all kinds of things like you know items in the news i want to talk about this news core disaster over in uh, in the uk phone hacking all kinds of skullduggery i thought it was curious reading usa today that noted that one of the first people to blow the whistle on this phone hacking going on by news corps now defunct news of the world tabloid was found dead last monday Police in Britain say the death was being treated as unexplained, but was not considered suspicious. This kind of reminds me of the line from This Is Spinal Tap, where they noted that in case of this man's mysterious death, the authorities best, best thought it just leave it unsolved. Apparently this gentleman, Sean Hoare, H-O-A-R-E, was found in his home. Uh, his body was found in his home about 25 miles northwest of London. He was quoted by the New York Times last year as saying that phone hacking was widely used and even encouraged at News of the World under, under its editor, Andy Coulson. Presumably Andy Coulson is the guy that Murdoch's going to try and hang this all on and, and walk away. But uh, Mr. Hoare's cause of death was not listed in the wire reports that I saw, and he looks to be all of about 40, so uh, I don't know what's going on. Yes, perhaps he died in a gardening accident. How about some legislative and legal items, sane and insane? Apparently the U.S. Bureau of Land Management has given the green light to move ahead with a controversial horse roundup in Nevada after a federal appeals court lifted a temporary injunction blocking the gathering of more than 1,700 Mustangs. God, we, we talked about the movie The Misfits with Eli Wallach some years back, 1962. 49 years ago, showing how they were... Uh, Rounding up horses and turning them into dog food. Here's a part I like about the article. Buried in it, it says that critics said another disappointing loss in federal court suggested Congress may have to pass a new law to protect the Mustangs because the Wild Free Roaming Horse and Burrow Act of 1971 doesn't seem to be enforceable. By the way, allow me to digress a moment. Here in our state capitol, the legislature works hard at turning out volumes and volumes of paperwork, new laws that are supposed to improve our lives, and it turns out that, well, I guess in some cases it's just not enforceable. I've been was driving a lot last week, and um, I noticed a lot of signs up saying, report drunk drivers. So I thought it was kind of curious when my neighbor, a fireman, described to me a couple days ago about how when he saw a guy driving down the road weaving playing loud music and obviously intoxicated, he got on the phone and called the police. The dispatcher advised him not to follow the car and didn't seem interested in doing much about it. He said he was going to continue to try and follow the car, which he did, called back a few minutes later to give an update, got a new dispatcher and asked, do you have a description of the vehicle? To which he said, don't tell me you have to start over again. But he did. And when the MIF dispatcher was trying to get off, he said, no, you're going to stay with me on this, aren't you? I don't know. They just apparently seem very, very put out at the idea of actually having to do police work. And after spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to put up all these signs on the highway, these high-tech signs that will alert us to when, supposedly, when children are being abducted, which was 
probably vastly overblown. But, uh, you know, building signs they did at great cost, and they're all over our highways, and every single one of them I saw said the same thing. I was advised to drive safely past highway workers because it's the law. I mean, I saw dozens of these things. Do we really need signs to tell us that we shouldn't go out and plow into Caltrans workers? And in a story which I think must represent liberalism gone insane, we have a bill in the Assembly, Bill 768, sponsored by Mike Gatto, a Los Angeles Democrat, which would eliminate San Francisco's ability to ban circumcision of children as proposed by a San Francisco initiative. Note an article by Jim Sanders in SACB.com. San Francisco's first-of-its-kind initiative has drawn national attention for targeting circumcision, which, of course, is the removal of the male foreskin and a practice that has biblical roots and that many believe was commanded by God in a covenant with Abraham. I, I, I wouldn't put too much faith in that last. It is nevertheless a religious requirement of Jews and Muslims. How can you ban it? Now, I have to admit that being a religious requirement, if you were, say, an Aztec, <laughs> you're required to practice human sacrifice, well, that, that may be something that you have to take a good look at. We will reluctantly continue to follow that story. I don't see how we can avoid it. How about this one? In the House of Representatives, the Republicans have moved to delay lighting efficiency rules. Well, at least they're voting to keep old-style incandescent light bulbs around a bit longer. They voted to block enforcement of, a new, of new lighting efficiency rules, which apparently is going to put them at odds with the Democrats. Now, this correspondent has come around to believing that compact fluorescents are premature. The technology is not there. If you place them inside the usual enclosures to which we're used to putting our incandescent bulbs, they will burn out quicker, quicker than conventional light bulbs. I discovered to my horror this was the case a few years back consulted with a family friend who works for pg and and he said, oh yeah, they get hot and they burn out. Therefore, in my front room, where I've still been trying to use a compact fluorescent, I've now taken, I've taken the uh, globe off the ceiling and now have the bare bulb, looking like, uh, you know, I'm living in Tijuana. It's really not very attractive. I think I'm going to have to side with the Republicans on this one. People have argued that the, the compact, squiggly-shaped fluorescent bulbs are an alternative to old-style incandescents, but uh, they're more costly, they contain mercury, and they're mostly made in China. Plus, the light that compact fluorescents give off sucks. They're hard to read with, and everybody looks like they're jaundiced. Also noticed in the Sacramento Bee article about borders uh, probably having to fold. Recommended article by Dale, Dale Kastler in the Sacramento Bee, which quoted... Alzada Knickerbocker, owner of Davis's avid reader bookstore, is noting that, uh, well, Borders was once so powerful it could devastate the competition. Even independent bookstores in a fiercely independent university town like Davis saw a huge effect. Of course, it appears that Borders and others have now fallen victim of Amazon.com. Note the forum radio program on KQED was talking to Alzada Knickerbocker, and I'm sorry to note that uh, we were beaten to her by KQED. This is an important topic, uh, the matter of whether there should be taxation of uh, internet companies that do business in California. Seems to this correspondent that we're handing a huge economic advantage to giant corporations at the expense of local bookstore owners. And we'll have to talk to Alzada Knickerbocker about that topic in the future.
And how about this one from the Law of Unintended Consequences? Uh, apparently, people that are growing marijuana are now opposing new rules that would make it possible to grow hemp because the two plants are similar, and apparently the pollen coming off of hemp fields can contaminate the valuable marijuana buds that are, uh, of course, without seeds. That's another topic we're going to have to talk about. And just one final note from the legislative insanity idea. Apparently over in Lahui, Hawaii, on the Garden Island of Kauai, five visitors have drowned in the Kipu Falls in the past five years, including two since last December. In most cases, they jumped off the top of the waterfall into the pool of green water 20 feet below, then apparently got pulled to their death somehow underneath the stream of water. The local tourism bureau has gotten so alarmed that it's mounted a campaign last year to push guidebooks to remove all references to the place, which is apparently out on private land. And it supported a bill before the Hawaii legislature that would have made writers and publishers of travel guides liable if a reader is injured or dies while trespassing on private property they have depicted. Fortunately, this bill died amid protests from publishers who said it violated their First Amendment rights and, of course, common sense. All right, in the five minutes left, I think I'll do a little follow-up on something I mentioned on last week's program, which was that uh, during its airing, I probably was going to be elsewhere paddling and pedaling and having a staycation where you go into vacation mode, but stay local. Well, local in this case doesn't necessarily mean the greater Davis-Sacramento area, but uh, far south as Monterey, say. Uh, yours truly set out last Wednesday to see how far I could get paddling down the Delta. Unfortunately, as Mr. McMillan can attest, I picked <laughs> arguably the worst day of the past, I don't know, last month probably, in that there were hellacious Delta winds <laughs> whipping up, whipping up uh, the Sacramento River. <laughs> Despite the fact that there were small craft warnings, I set out in the kayak to see if I could make it down to Rio Vista. I put in at Clarksburg, and I did make Rio Vista after 11 hours of hard paddling against a stiff headwind. I concluded that since I had the current with me the whole way, once I got in the delta where I would occasionally have the current going against me, I just picked the wrong time of year to try it. So I threw in the towel the next day and instead rode my bike between Davis and Sacramento. However, on my birthday, I decided to take another whack at it and get across San Francisco Bay. So I set out in the afternoon in spite of continued hellacious winds to try and paddle from Larkspur, near where the Larkspur landing is for the ferry, go around Tiburon through the Raccoon Straits and wind up in Sausalito. I asked the guy in the local kayak shop, what do you think, three hours? He said, yeah, I better figure on three and a half. Just to be safe, he said. Well, this time I timed the tides exactly right, so the slow slog going across that peninsula in the stiff headwind was manageable. And then I caught a further break when I turned into the Raccoon Straits between uh, the peninsula and Angel Island and found that the currents were going my way and the wind wasn't too bad until I got to Belvedere Island, at which point it looked like there was whitewater rafting going on out in the bay. <laughs> and I rounded the bend to try and cross that little stretch of what's usually calm Richardson Bay to get to Sausalito to see a huge wall of white fog pouring over Mount Tam coming down, hitting the bay, and smacking me in the face, along with very, very bumpy water. So averaging considerably less than a half mile an hour over the next hour and a quarter, finally made it across. 
Marin County is a fun place to hang out, and I was able to do so in Sausalito, Marin City, and Greenbrae with some friends of mine. Nice place to get away for a mini vacation. But I decided to take one, one further crack at it after getting pounded in, uh, on the Sacramento River and pounded in San Francisco Bay. I took the kayak down to Monterey Bay. Decided to just go out of the Elkhorn Sloop, paddle north for, I don't know, an hour and a half, paddle back and just get a good workout. Which I did, but something really odd happened, which I need to tell you about. I um, went out of the little harbor, went north, pointed toward Capitola, kind of stayed outside the breakers, as one should do in a kayak. And in about an hour and 20 minutes, thought, good enough, turned around, started paddling back. And of course, the Elkhorn Slough is marked by the very distinctive uh, um, power-generating plant there at Moss Landing, landmark visible all around the Monterey Bay. And I was struck both in paddling out and paddling back what a beautifully clear day it was. I somehow failed to notice that right about the time I got back into the harbor that the fog just closed in in minutes. In the space of what couldn't be more than five minutes, you could no longer see the giant towers of the generating plant across the street, basically. You couldn't see across the the mouth of the Elkhorn Slough entrance. It was in a word socked in and it, it was all so sudden I, I was not five minutes before 10 minutes not 10 minutes before looking down and seeing pacific grove and monterey clear as a bell so the lesson dear listener is if you're planning to go out in monterey bay or san francisco bay take along some form of compass i've gone out in the fog down there with a compass and felt pretty secure but the compass unfortunately was left in sacramento my backup compass slash whistle was left in the car. If you told me you better go back and get your get your compass because it might fog in, I would have laughed at you as being some kind of moron. There was no way fog was in the immediate future. But boy, was I wrong. So I sat there having a beer and looking out at the mist. Not long afterwards, I was contemplating how miserable I would have been to have been 15 minutes behind schedule trying to guess where the breakers were on my left and listening to the foghorn trying to wake my way back to the little harbor. That was an experience that I'm happy to say I missed. At any rate, compasses are not expensive. Buy a bunch of them. At least if you're planning to do any kayaking, which I highly recommend. Great exercise, great fun, and, um, and a good way to see the coastline. I just want to add one final bit that as I was finally getting into the lee of the harbor in Sausalito, a guy came rocketing past me in some sort of lay-on-top surfboard contraction I'd never seen before. By paddling with his arms alone, he was rocketing along. I need to know more about this conveyance. I'd never seen one before, but boy, what an interesting contraption. We are out of time. Our thanks to Matt Kaplan. His Planetary Radio is heard every Friday on KDVS, 8.30 a.m., and our old pal, Will Durst. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Out of the kayak and back in front of the microphone. And final thanks to Heather Klinger for airing the show last week while I was cavorting around. And dear listener, if you haven't gotten any cavorting in lately, I recommend that you do so. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. We'll see you next week at the same time.